This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty is brought to you by Azari Brothers Moving and Storage. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty, the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This is episode 90. Today's guest played Elaine's hunky boyfriend, Tony, in the classic season five episode of Seinfeld The Stall, Dan Cortez. Thank you for listening. If you dig it, please pass it on. Follow us on Twitter at This Thirsty. Follow us on Instagram at This Thirsty. Email us. This podcast is making me thirsty at gmail.com. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Episode 90, Dan Cortez. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty and the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This is episode 90. Today's guest has been over 50 in over 50 TV shows and films. You know him from his many years as one of the biggest MTV personalities and from his memorable roles in Demolition Man, Melrose Place, The Single Guy in Veronica's Closet. He wrote a very funny and insightful memoir, Step Off, My Journey from Mimbo to Manhood. He recently launched his own lifestyle apparel brand, Original Influencer. And of course, he played Elaine's hunky boyfriend, Tony, in the classic season five episode of Seinfeld, The Stall. Please welcome Dan Cortez. Dan, thanks for joining. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having And it's pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing to get introduced by the real hunky Tony. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Come on. Work the collar. You know you've done this before. Yeah, I get called it all <laughs> No better episode. I mean, a top 10 episode for sure. Literally no flaw. So take us back. Perfect so this episode. aired in uh, January of 94. Yeah. Um, so obviously you probably tried out for in 93. You had Demolition Man, the MTV stuff. Tell us a little yeah. bit how this, the role of Tony came about. Um, was there an audition? You the, kind of um, you know, well, there's, it's going to be a long-winded story, but it's a perfect sort of Seinfeld story because there's a lot of different things in the Seinfeld world that took place for me to to get the part. Um, yeah, the I, I, it was I had done Demolition Man. I had been on MTV Sports. I think going into my second or third year, we had won MTV, their first ever Emmy. So there was like a lot of heat around this like young guy, Dan Cortez, who was hosting. You know, we're on number one show in seventy two countries. Blah blah blah. Had never done. Uh, a sitcom Seinfeld at the time was and still is my favorite sitcom so I was approached um, by my manager now follow this my manager at the time wasn't a full-fledged manager he was still on somebody's desk so that's how you start you, you start signing clients and then hey you work your way up now his name was Ray McKigney is still Ray McKigney Seinfeld <laughs> fans know yes. Ray McKigney as the hand model. Ray <laughs> was the assistant to Lori Leonard, who later became Lori David, Larry's wife. So Larry had contacted Lori to get this guy from MTV to come in for this part. Lori goes, well, Ray, my assistant, who would always take Larry's calls. It's hilarious to hear Ray tell the story because Ray would always be like, they knew each other forever because Lori Leonard, that's who Elaine is based off of, is based off of Lori David, I guess. Is, or I don't know what she goes by now, but 
Um, so she would always blow Larry's calls off. So Ray would always be the one talking to Larry. So they end up saying, hey, we want Dan to come in for this part. Um, so Ray McKigney set up the meeting. And this was a Monday during the day. They want you to come in tonight. So I went out to CBS uh, Radford. I think it was like in the early afternoon. And I'm in a room with Larry, Jerry, and Mark Hirschfeld, the casting director, great casting director. And, you know, a lot of cordial, how you doing? Good, good to meet you. Good. And we talked for maybe five, 10 minutes. And then I said, so, you know, there, do you guys have sides? What do you want me to read? What should I do? And Larry just goes, no, we just wanted to see if you could put two words together. And, and I said, okay. <laughs> and he's like, so we start tomorrow. Uh, you want to do this? And I was just like, of course, would love to do that. So I didn't read anything. They just wanted to see if this buffoon from... Uh, you know, MTV Sports could portray a buffoon on their show. <laughs> and um, and that's how it, it all started. And it was my very first uh, sitcom episode I had ever done. So talk about being thrown into the fire. Um, wow. Yeah, that was because everything I had done up until that point was, you know, either one hour and or just all improv stuff. MTV Sports, nothing was scripted. So um, to then... It wasn't even just doing a sitcom. It was doing the number one sitcom on television <laughs> with people that you're just in awe of. And then, you know, you got to go into that room for the week and try and be, oh, this is fine. This is no big deal. This is, you know, I'll just be one of the guys. But they were all, um, I've always said this, of any show I've ever worked on, that was the most relaxed working atmosphere I had ever been in. There was no ego from the the top down from Larry to Jerry to anybody in the cast they just uh I mean they really made me feel welcome made everybody feel welcome and at the end of the day it was all about what's we just want the show to be the funniest mm -hmm. that it could be so if you have ideas just tell us and kind of we can we can shoot it on the fly as well that's incredible so you showed up the first day that's the first time you saw the script then you didn't even see it there any anything about they, your character. they gave me the script um that when I left that night and um, yeah, I read it that night and then showed up the next day was the table read. And again, I had no concept as to how the whole process worked for a multi-camera sitcom. So right. the first day was just, it's a table read. You sit and read it in front of the writers and you go home, you know, so you're there for maybe an hour. So I remember at the end of the table, because, you know, everybody's sitting around eating breakfast and we're talking, let's read it. Everybody laughs. Okay, great. See you later. Everybody gets up and leaves. And I was paranoid to leave because my whole thing was I had, ton of, I had told a lot of people I'm going to be on Seinfeld over the course of that night. My friends and family, I didn't want to be fired by like day one or two. So I <laughs> literally hung out for about an extra 15 minutes just by the craft service table, getting some more stuff to eat. Finally, I think it was like a wardrobe woman had told me like, you know, you don't have to you don't have to be here. You can you can go home. <laughs> you can go home. Everybody else had left. So. Um, yeah, but just a great time. So, so what did you? When did you have the character like locked in your head? Like this is who this guy is. Like the whole vibe, the hat backwards, all that stuff. Did you? Did you have input from Larry Charles and Larry David on that, or you kind of just like gathered it up and like this is who this guy is? He's just cool, cool hunky Tony. Their input was do what you want to do, do what you think's funniest, and uh, you know we'll follow your lead. Which again. That's incredible. You're, you're paranoid about, but at the same time, it's, you know, it would be silly things like try this, you know, even if it's, uh, 
you know, something to like, hey, when you walk through the door, just kind of catch your shoe on the set and look back. Like, don't trip and fall, but just kind of look. And, but they were like, you know, just be you, let yourself, and just have fun with it. And we'll figure it out as we go along. So there wasn't any uh, real pressure. Jason was the best uh, to work with because, again, such a great actor, accomplished actor. And um, he as well was just like, just go with your gut. That's pretty much what we do here. We go with the gut. And if somebody else has a funnier idea, they'll just tell you, try it this way. <laughs> um, which, you know, truthfully, I kept that sort of mantra throughout my career when doing any any comedy. I've always said, Hey, if if a you know craft service guy can give me a better read on a joke that I I'm that's landing flat, like tell me because at the end of the day, I want it to be as funny as possible. I, I'm you know you kind of got to check your ego at the door. Right. But I mean, you were 26 years old. I mean, you were a young guy. I mean, and that's got to like you said, it's got to be an intimidating place to come into. But it sounds like everyone was just low key, right? They made you feel comfortable. So yeah, and you mentioned the chemistry. That I mean. You had four scenes. I mean, the chemistry with you and Julia, incredible. The George scene, Kramer slapping your hand. I mean, just let's say, I mean, let's just go scene by scene. I mean, the scenes with Elaine in the movie theater, um, just <laughs> just classic. Just you saying, can you jump from the rafters? I mean. That's my favorite line of all the of balcony. my lines. Uh, yeah, we're going to ask like, you, what's your favorite line? Yeah, that I wanted to ask you. Because everybody was line. always like, step off or what? Do you, obviously, yeah. step off. Sure. I said no. I my favorite line when I saw the script was the one of Do you think that gets the character balcony? right? That you know the yeah. guy. Right when he does that, like, he's and, just like, and man, my thing too. And that was the one note I remember from Larry on that was that's a serious question. Like that's <laughs> not a joke. This guy is he wants to seriously know. Do you think I'll get hurt if I jump from there? So, um, but I, I just to to preface to say one more thing on the last note, and then I'll get into the scenes. One of the things that made me feel at ease too was in doing MTV Sports, the cast were not, I don't want to say fans of MTV Sports, but had seen the show. So they were engaging me by asking me a lot of questions about, oh, when you guys went and Bungie jumped off this, or if he did so, it was intriguing to them. Like, who is this dumb guy that's doing all this stuff? But to find out the nuances behind that show. So then that made me feel uh, more at ease. But yeah, that, that scene, that initial scene was, um, I remember I ate a lot of popcorn. <laughs> and it wasn't even my because I never got the popcorn in the scene, but um, yeah, that whole thing was hey, this is where we're introing this character. So Larry's big note there was this, that question uh, has to be a serious question. Don't don't make a joke out of that. Yeah, it just seemed like when you mentioned it earlier, it really struck me because I watched the episode you know a million times. I watched it again last night, and it just seems like everyone's at ease. Like Elaine, like Julie Louise Dreyfus, just seems to really. I don't know. She's like she's she's connected with you. Like it seemed like she's very at ease with the joke she says when she's talking to you. Um, you know, the Kramer that O'Hara mentioned earlier, the high five to, to Michael Richards, you know, manana, yeah. nada. Um, you know, that whole scene there when George is in love with you. I mean, what did what did you, you know, how was that back and forth there? Was there anything that didn't make the cut that you remember? Was there any improv there where George is like in love with you with that, you know, I'm down and that kind of yeah. stuff? The uh the big story with that scene in the diner with, with George was uh, show night when we were shooting it, uh, we had done a take, went really well, writers given a few notes. And then I remember Jason saying to me, he goes, hey, what do you think? Is it funny if when you turn your hat around, if what if I turned my hat around? And he took his <laughs> like little hunting hat or whatever. It was like, whatever. 
And he turned it around and I thought it was hilarious. I'm like, oh my God, do it. But then I was like, who am I? I like, I think it's funny, but maybe right. he it. So he calls over Larry. He goes, Larry, what do you think of after Dan turns his hat around that when I start my line, I turn my hat around and he does it. And Larry looks at me and goes, no, don't, don't do it. It's not funny. So he's like, okay. So Jason looked at me again. He goes, I think it's funny. Do you think it's funny? I was like, yeah, yeah, I thought it was funny. So when we shot it, we did the next take. Jason did it. And I think they had told me later, I'd find out, found out it was one of the longest laughs they had, if not the longest laugh that season. We held literally, because I think the take they used was the second take. But the first take, we sat there for a good 15 seconds because the audience just lost their mind. They couldn't <laughs> stop laughing because he kept nodding his head and he sees a little bald spot, you know, uh, through his hat. So um, I remember Larry coming, I can't remember the exact quote, but I think it was something like, fuck you, and he's laughing because it was so funny and it got such a big laugh. He loved it. Um, but yeah, it was just, I think that's the beauty of the show too. It's nobody ever really pushed too hard to make the jokes work. It was, it was you know, uh, on the page, but it was also, they knew their characters so well um and uh i just think it was those little nuances that really really make the show special in that episode for me too and it sounds like it sounds like you were a fan of the show it's interesting when we asked you what your favorite line was it wasn't the catchy step off it was kind of an right. itchy line and we're, we're kind of the same way so we're were you a fan of the show coming in i mean these were still early years i know this was a third yeah. genetic were you you were a fan of seinfeld I was a fan of seven. Well, because I, I think it was, well, you guys would know better than me. Wasn't it their first season or two? They only were mid-season, right? Wouldn't they come on? They didn't do a full season. Right. And I, but I knew of it and would watch it basically because, like I said earlier, my manager worked with Lori and would be like, oh, you know, she, the, the character of Elaine in the show is based off of Lori. And um, so that's that's how it was sort of obviously – Brought to my attention, but then more so with the the notoriety it was getting as I, well. I can't get over that Ray story. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and that was the thing too. There's so Joe Davola. I, I worked with Joe Davola at MTV for a oh, year. Yeah. Uh, and um, so there was just so many. Uh, I can't even describe Ray McKigney. Um, <laughs> but if you would, he's he was my first manager. I love him to death, and um, and and he always. Always, he was from Jersey, always had a cigarette in his hand and would always, but um, just an Irish guy um, that was more concerned with fashion. And every, so I don't know, I think Larry used to poke fun at him a lot. So I think that was kind of a, uh, you know what, let's just use Ray's name for this episode. <laughs> so it was kind of hilarious how they would do that. You know, uh, uh, Dan, I, you know, reading your book, it seems like you have a knack for kind of, being in the moment and like taking advantage of it almost like kind of just seeing your way through like i don't want to say hustling i don't know if that's the right word but it, just from the stories you told about you know the downtown julie brown story or when you were the caddy or um and now hearing this one about how, how you got seinfeld sort of just like you know taking it when it when it comes like what what do you attribute that to your, your you know your positive you know your positive thinking and that sort of thing as far as um, like getting what you want when when the moment arises i think i think Positivity and positive thinking is a is a huge part of it. Um, I've always been a, ha a glass half full kind of guy, um, but I was also I raised by an Italian immigrant. My dad came over when he was a young boy, and I was the youngest of four kids, so I always had to work for everything. It was like it's funny. I 
a friend of mine asked me the other day because I have four kids and I just have a newborn now and um, two boys and two girls. And he would always say, like, when when you gave the talk, what was the talk your dad gave you? It's this big strap and Italian guy. I go, I never got the talk. I never got the talk. I had two older brothers that 10 years older and five years older than me. I said, so I think my dad just assumed one of my brothers would tell me like what was going on. I never got the talk. So I, I always sort of you know, from day one had to work for even with my parents for attention. Hey, I'm the I'm over here. And, um, you know, I, I think I told the story in my book. The, I, I wanted this jam box back in the day. I was 12 years old, Panasonic Platinum. I want to show my dad this commercial of Panasonic Platinum. Look at this. Isn't this, isn't that cool? And he goes, yeah, you like that? I said, yeah, I like it. You want it? Yeah, go get a job. So I did. I started shining shoes at a country club. Right. Worked for tips. So um, it's always sort of been that inherent quality uh, in me. But you, you you brought up the book, that book, and, and I wrote it in the introduction, may not have been written if it weren't for Seinfeld, because I was on the fence with when I got approached to write it. And, and I told the story about, uh, I asked, I'd never met the guy, uh, the chief editor at Wiley Publishing. I'd talked to him a few times on the phone, but never met him in person. And he would always tell me, I want the book to be Dan, make it more Dan. Let's make it Dan. And I was just, I didn't know really like what the hell he meant. What do you mean by that? What does that mean to you? You've never met me in person. What do you think I'm like? And this is what I say in the introduction. I say, he said, I, I've asked around the office and we think you'd be a lot like that character you played on Seinfeld, like a fun guy to hang out with. And he went on for two minutes, just saying nice things about all I heard was you're a mimbo. I think you're a mimbo. So then that sort of was like, wait, am I that person? Am I not? Let me explore this so that because of that, I said, you know what? I want to write it. I want to take this journey and sort of explore that and see, am I that character? Because I've read for years, you know, it's funny. You see a lot of critics go, how far did Dan Cortez really have to stretch to play the character of Tony? Or was he that guy? And look, obviously any actor, you bring a part of yourself to the role. So. but yeah, I mean, the the Seinfeld world really helped to to shape and define my direction in the career in my career. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the the Mimbo piece. Like, if that bothered yeah. you at the time, it seems like now you you embrace it and you were able to kind of tell your story and on that. But yeah, was that was that in the original script or was that something that was added by like Larry David later? No, that was that was so in the original, original script. Yeah, that was in there the whole time, and it was because I remember at the table read too, just the way that Le- or Jerry delivered the very first, right. you know, description of he's a mimbo, he's a male mimbo, huge laugh at the table. So yeah. that's going to be it. Never affected me um, ever, really. I mean, I embraced it. I, like you said, I was twenty six. I was, I was on Seinfeld. I didn't right. care. Like it was the coolest right. thing, and. Um, but again, it was one of those things where I remember after the episode aired, uh, I was uh, in Hollywood and I was getting a physical. I was going to work on a, a series in Vancouver and I was leaving, I think like in two or three days and I had to get the cast physical before I left. And I always say, I found out the difference between network television, power, the power of network television, the power of basic cable. Like I said earlier, MTV Sports, we were on in 72 countries. Right, no number one show in a lot of those countries, but it was cable, you know, networks. There are cable right. stations. I came out of my um, fit cast physical, and I'm walking to my car the day after the Seinfeld episode airs, and somebody yells, 
Yeah. Mimbo, it's the Mimbo. As I'm walking to my car on the street, and I turn around and look, and the guy's approaching. It's like, oh my God, it's you. It's the Mimbo. And, and that that day, I was like, holy shit. Well, there's the difference right there. Like, I, you can walk around, you get recognized by with MTV by a lot of younger kids that, you know, might see the show, whatever. Power of network television, pretty huge, especially when you're on a show uh, like Seinfeld. Yeah, I can imagine that's, that's like life changing. Um, you know, we we're talking about the script earlier. We read somewhere that there was a there was more to the script, the scene where your bandages come off and you're with Elaine and then you break <laughs> up with her. Is that was that supposed to be the ending? I mean, we love the ending. I think the whole thing is perfect, but I'm curious about that scene. Is that something that's true or the original uh, ending was a uh, scene we shot where Elaine and, and Tony are on the rock, rock climbing yeah. together and having a beautiful day. And then she's kind of swinging back and forth and she gets close to Tony and stops close to Tony. And he says, is that a, is that a pimple on your face? And she's like, oh yeah, well, I didn't have time. And the whole ending scene was Tony breaks up with her because she had a pimple on her face after his face <laughs> after had completely healed. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And so you again, shot that, was, that. We shot it and it um huge response. I don't know if it was a time thing. I don't know why they used it or or uh, didn't use it, I mean, but uh yeah, that was the original ending that I that's how I thought it was gonna end. Was I also read that you kind of came up with step off. Was that true? Like or was that in the script as well? The they were searching for uh, a phrase to use there and um Larry had come up to me and he's like, what's something like what's something MTV kids would say? And I think step off was the second or third thing I said. And uh, Jason said, step off. And as soon as Larry heard Jason say it, he's like, yeah, yeah, say that. Say that. <laughs> so I was at a, uh, a charity function years ago and Jeff Garland, I had never met him, uh, approached me and he's like, Danny, Danny's come walking up. And it's always fun that when you're with some friends and another celebrity, bigger celebrity comes up and says hi to you for And I was like, holy shit, Jeff. He's like, Jeff Garland. I'm like, yeah, I know who you are. He goes, quick question. Larry said that step off was your idea. And I said, that's what Larry's saying. I'll go with that. I'll, <laughs> I, but I always said to, it wasn't like I went up to Larry and said, listen, Larry, I, I've, I've got a line here. I think it's going to work. It was more a, just give me something that kids would say. And then when I, one of the things, I don't even remember what the, the other things I said was, but uh, when he heard Jason say, he's like, yeah, just use that. That's good. And again, that's, that shows you that relaxed working atmosphere. Yeah, like, exactly. Hey, he heard it and he's like, I think that's funny. It's funny the way he just said it. So let's try that. It also shows you the trust he has in you. I mean, even when you got the gig, they didn't, you know, like I said, the trust was already there, but then it's to trust you with, Hey, give me some lines. I mean, it, like you said, it all comes from the top down at that show. And that's why, you know, it's such a great show. Is And it's interesting, too. This was the first you mentioned earlier. This was the first sitcom you were on. Yeah. So I'm curious. I mean, without getting too, you know, but I'm just curious. You went from the one of the greatest, if not the greatest sitcoms of all time. Right. And from everyone yeah. we've talked to um, also run differently than any other sitcom that's ever been really. Yeah. So where you got to another sitcom where you're like, wait a minute, why are they doing it this way? It's Seinfeld. I know you're only there for a week, but it must've been kind of like, ah, oh, this is a little bit different than how they did it on, uh, on Seinfeld. Yeah. You know, one of the things that the big difference to me was they, from other sitcoms I've worked on when they got to show night, they were pretty much good with their script the way it was. 
And I've worked on many sitcoms where it's like, hey, we're going to shoot the cold open. Okay, this joke didn't work. That one didn't work. And then you sit there for 35, 40 minutes in front of an audience while the writers try and come up. Let's get a few more blows here and there. They were pretty much sold, and which was good. That's a lot of confidence in their writing staff. Mm. And they, and I think it's also starting with Larry and Jerry, they know the type of show they want to make. They know the type of funny they want it to be. And they would tweak here and there, but they, they didn't waste much time on show night. And I, the sitcom I started doing after I did, uh, I think like a six episode off on the single guy with Jonathan Silverman. Then mm -hmm. I did Caroline in the city then, but I did, um, uh, Veronica's Closet would curse the alley and mm. Bright Kaufman Crane created that show, people that created Friends. And we Friends, did that for yeah. three seasons. And that was, and I loved them to death, but that whole process was completely different than Seinfeld. And I would, you ask the question, I would say that all the time. I'm like, yeah, hey, how, like, we're here until 1230 at night. We start at six. They were getting the crowd pizza at 11 just to keep them here because we would rewrite, rewrite, rewrite so much. We're on Seinfeld, it's like, Hey, this joke didn't work. That one didn't work. We can pick it up at the end or let's just shoot it now. Cause we shot that and we were gone. It was like, you know, it was a well-oiled machine, even whatever that was their third season or fourth season going into it. They knew what they wanted. Right. So we, we talked about the chemistry you had on set with Julia, George Kramer, um, offset same way. Any stories about being on set? I know Jamie Gertz was the, the other <laughs> special guest star. Yeah, she was fantastic. I'm just curious. Any stories from that week? Grab lunch with anybody? Uh, well, we all spent. Everybody would have lunch together, you know. But uh, Jamie has remained a friend of mine for a long time. I met her boyfriend at the time, who's now her husband, Tony Wrestler, and um, they used to live in Malibu. I live in Malibu, and Tony. I would see them here, and Tony had a friend who had a house on the beach and had bought lot next to him to build. Uh, a new house and couldn't get the permits to build it so as sort of a nephew to the city of Malibu because they can cause a lot of headaches when people are trying to build stuff the guy didn't play basketball but built a full court basketball court state-of-the-art in the sand next to his house and Tony would say hey he's a huge basketball fan he now owns the Atlanta Hawks he would say call you want to come up pickup game and you'd have Steve Levitan you had guys showrunners then they're just playing five on five basketball on Sundays like before football would start, you'd go down there eight o'clock in the morning, run, get two hours of running and go. Um, but everybody there was great uh, and so friendly. And, and you know, um, there was one night I was out after the show had aired a few years later with um, some friends of mine at a uh, Italian restaurant in Hollywood. And when we got there, we were seated at our table. And this was probably three three, four years after the show had aired and everybody's like, Jerry Seinfeld is sitting in back, like back corner. So then of course, the more we had wine, my friends were saying, you gotta go tell Jerry. Hi, tell Jerry. Hi. You know, you said you worked with Jerry. Well, yeah, of course I worked with Jerry. Of course I'm like, I'm not going to go interrupt it. Cause in my mind, I was like, <laughs> I don't even know if he remembers, you know, who I am or whatever. I did one episode of a show and it's Jerry effing Seinfeld. Come on. So I never went back there and it was, kind of funny because on the way out of the restaurant I don't want to say entourage but the people he was with were leaving they walked by our table and Jerry never looked at me just walked by and hit me in the back and go step off Dan so <laughs> again it was like one of those ah, that was the crowning moment of I didn't have to say anything Jerry Jerry Seinfeld 
knows who I am. Or at least he knows I'm the guy that said step off. So that's good. But um, <laughs> Michael Richards had played in a couple Rock and Jock games too on uh, MTV with his Rock and Jock softball games. So, um, and then oh, yeah. I, I did uh, Celebrity Jeopardy with Jason, uh, Jason Alexander and Carol Burnett, which I was a little upset because they give you easy questions, but they had been on it before too. But Jason had a whole category based on whatever he majored in in college. It was like physics or something that I had no idea about. And, um, but just great people, very, you know, polite working actors. You got no ego from that. I've worked with actors and actresses where it's, you know, you get to the set in the morning, you're like, oh my God, this is going to be torture for 12 hours uh, just to deal with egos. They did, there was none of that really at all. Right. I mean, I get to say, yeah, I get, we get the sense. And also, I mean, you know, you're a Western Pennsylvania guy, you, you paid your dues, like you mentioned being a caddy and, you know, working at the steel mill. That's one of my favorite stories in your book is the, uh, you know, the steel mill guys kind of telling you like, you, you got to go out there and do it. You know, you can't be messing around with us, man, go out there and do it. And look at you, you know, you're, you're been on so many great things and uh you know it's incredible um what is your you know what is that i guess i kind of asked that question earlier but i'm i just love that that steel mill story and you're just talking about being humble i, I can imagine when you get to hollywood after being you know where you were and rubbing shoulders with some of these people it's got to be like i don't know in the back of your mind like who, who you got who are you're on a, you're on a, you're on a set as an actor and you're acting like this is you know highfalutin i mean i don't want you to you know talk too much about that but just seeing how the uh the seinfeld cast was um i'm assuming you know my i guess my main question is what did you learn from being on the set of seinfeld and it sounds like you kind of touched on it but i'm just curious if there's i had else you can add? um sure um there was uh you know you look at the call sheet of a, of a television show it's the actors are numbered one two three and it's basically you're listed in the order of how your credit is so Jerry obviously was number one on the call sheet. Right. I had never been number one on the call sheet. I was even on Veronica's Closet. The highest I was was number two. It was Kirsty was first in the credits, then Dan, then Kathy, and it went the whole way down. So I had a show, a short-lived sitcom that I did for a season uh, called Rock Me Baby. Mm, yeah. And that was the with Bianca Kylik, who was on uh, How I Met Your Mother. And um, so that was the first show I was ever number one on the call sheet. So the guy that created the show was a great writer by the name of Tim Kelleher. And I remember day two at uh, the set when we were going to shoot the pilot. And I said, called the cast. There was four people in the cast into my trailer. And I said, look, I just want to say one thing. Like, before we get going, you know, uh, it's basically this. When you come to the set, have read your scripts. The first thing you should do. Don't disrespect the writers, especially sitcom writers. They are up all night long doing rewrites to make this as funny as possible. Have read your script. Second thing, check your ego at the door. Don't come in with any actor bullshit complaining about the bagels are stale or this does or the heat in your trailer, whatever. Take into consideration that you're doing what you love to do, you've always wanted to do, and also how much you're getting paid to do this. So if we can check those egos at the door and have read the script, let's just go have fun. It's a sitcom. And I took that as the biggest thing I got from doing Seinfeld as my first sitcom. There was no ego there. And it made it so easy because I have worked on sitcoms where it is like you get there and when there's an ego, that trickles down because then that makes the next person miserable and then the assistant director is miserable. And then it's just, it's not very conducive for a funny working atmosphere. And that's what you need. Loose, yeah. fun, funny. I think that 
And that's good Very for cool. a 26 year old to step into. Right. I mean, Jerry talks about a lot. It's a, it's a homemade show. Like there's not too many people involved. It's kind of small Nick group, Larry and Jerry kind of run the show. Yeah. But so back to those scenes, just uh, every time I think about it, my laugh, I'm just curious, the whole bandage situation. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know what the question is, but how did they put that on or like uh, were there, I'll, I'll were there answer, different I'll, variations or I'll answer what you think what I think your question is. Yeah. Larry Larry <laughs> probably came in three times and kept going, no, more, more. No, more it, it needs to be just yeah, but that's not gonna look realistic. He's like, I don't care. More. <laughs> this is a horrific accident. This needs you need to so because then obviously the shot they pan over and it's the reveal of all this stuff. Um, and it was shot on a swing set. So that was off to the side away from the crowd a bit. The crowd was over here in front of the main set and uh, the diner. So they, the crowd was watching that on monitors. So that was a okay. reveal of Tony's face. So, but yeah, the bandages initially, it was much less. You could see a lot more of my face and he was just like, no, no more. So I think I, as if I remember correctly, I think he came by three times where he was just like, put more, we want more, more and get one around his head. Get something over because then there were just bizarre ones that went this way over top <laughs> of other bandages. So, um, yeah, that was. Uh, and I remember somebody had told me at one point that there was a conspiracy theory that there were so many bandages on Tony's face that Jerry was actually underneath the bandages, and it wasn't Dan that they had Jerry underneath those bandages for the scene. And I'm like, who? Like, who came up with that? But. Um, <laughs> You know, no, that that scene was just all about, yeah, we're going for big. Let's get big, get more bandages on there. Yeah, I mean, this incredible scenes all throughout. The other one we want to talk about is actually on the mountain when Tony takes the tumble. Um, are you are you on set just yelling up to them off camera during that yeah. whole the rope that yeah, so you're yeah. there for that whole that's actually, you know, I wasn't sure if that was like I was, or something. No, I was literally probably sitting 10 feet away in a director's chair. Just <laughs> yeah, it's just so nervous that I'm still doing the show. Right. Literally had three lines. I'm sitting, I'm sitting like this with my paper in front of me. Okay. It's okay. It was just because I didn't want to screw it up while they're on camera and forget my line. Right. But um, yeah, they were, you know, they had built the wall on the set. So um, yeah, that was, and again, the way they shot that too was so well done. I think, to get back to the prior scene, that reveal of the bandages on Tony's face. Also, that shot's amazing. You don't think about how things are directed, but the shot through the, the keyhole of George standing there, like waving when he's, you know, he's standing there at Elaine's apartment. It's a hilarious shot. That's yeah. a visual you don't forget. So, you know, that shot, your way for the comic book is unbelievable. Books. That's a great, just, all right, fine. Let me see the comic book. Bring it over here. That's a really good one. Yeah. But um, again, yeah, it's those small nuances too that I think, you know, are things you laugh about that aren't on the page, that aren't the jokes, that uh, really sort of separates the show from a lot of others. Yeah. I mean, that was a, it was a flawless episode. Obviously, Larry Charles and Larry David heavily involved. So tell us a little bit about um, original influencer kind of, I mean, I love the, I think I'm going to buy a sweatshirt myself with uh, <laughs> but um, tell us a little bit wait, about that. Wait, because I'm doing a 20% discount later today. So wait, <laughs> just wait until tomorrow. <laughs> All right. um, the, uh, that whole thing came from, again, there's a Seinfeld tie to this. Uh, I was contacted a year and a half ago, 
probably by this guy. His name's Blake J. Harris. He's a writer and uh, documentary director. He had done the movie uh, Console Wars. It was a documentary on Paramount Plus uh, about the wars between Sega and Nintendo. Uh, but Blake's also a great writer. And Blake contacted me uh, because he was writing a book about Larry. And uh, with Larry's graces, and he, Larry is part of the book. And so he had asked Larry, who are some good guest stars that maybe could give me some anecdotes for the book, or who are some people I should talk to? And one of the people Larry said was me. So Blake contacted me to talk to me about uh, the, the episode of Seinfeld I did. And then he and I started talking more and more because he read my book and he said, had I ever thought about writing, uh, you know, doing a doc about my, my own life? That led me to, I had a lot of these MTV stories. Long story short, I said, you know, one of the quotes I came up with was, look, MTV back in the day, before social media, once they got rid of the music, and started doing original programming, which was an intentional thing. Those people, both in front and mainly behind the camera, we answered to no one. They answered to no one. People were getting drunk and high in the office place, coming up with concepts for, hey, let's do remote control. We need it. Okay, let's, let's get a 12 pack of beer and come up with a concept for a game show. So <laughs> this concept that I had was original influences before all the social media. Where did everybody go to find out things that were cool in the late 80s? They went to MTV. So there's a doc that we're taking out now called Original Influencers based on that sort of decade-ish of time. Okay. And so I thought when I wanted to start coming up with these the sh or the uh, clothing concept, I said, I'm going to steal that same title I came up with and start exploiting, like, not necessarily myself. I said, the perfect way to, way to go with it, have a sense of humor, put Tony on the T-shirt original influencer step off on the back okay let's put that on beer mugs too let's put jason on the back i have an ugly christmas sweater uh with you know uh, step off santa the back of it says but i made sandwiches with jason's picture <laughs> i i have a, a, a hanukkah one but i made latkes is on the back i love that one as well the um so and i think if you think about that whole concept seinfeld is totally an, an original influencer. Now you'll have people that'll fight that as far as sitcoms are concerned, but there's very, very few sitcoms from say years ago that you can watch even today that don't feel dated. Right. Joke wise, you know, obviously you're going to have wardrobe hair, whatever, but joke wise people still relate to. And I think that's the beauty of Seinfeld. Even, you know, there's people that love friends, but there's jokes in there that, okay, it dates the show because it's either talking about some something pop culture. Seinfeld doesn't do that because they're talking about simple, simple things that take place in everyday life that guess what, still take place everyday life today. So that to me, like if you're looking at original influencers from a sitcom point of view, like, like come on. Yeah. That it really is timeless. Yeah, best, right. best of luck with that. And speaking of wardrobes, you wore the, uh, the Giants hat. Yes. Uh, your Western PA Pittsburgh guy, I think Chuck Knox. Chuck went Knox to, went to your high went school. To my high school, that's correct. Yeah. Who's your Who's your guy? I, I know, obviously, the, the quarterbacks are are big. Marino, Montana, yeah. name of to name a few. What's your What was your go to sport? Who's your go to guy? Wow, you know, I had um, when I was doing MTV Sports, I was asked. I think it was in '95. They did the Major League uh, All Star Game was at Three River Stadium when it was still there. Okay. And I was asked to be in the Celebrity Home Run Derby. And Dan Marino was one of the people in it. And Michael Keaton was one of the people in it as well. 
two of my idols growing up. I always wanted to be, I used to emulate, I played quarterback in high school. I used to emulate Dan Marino when I'd walk in. I don't know why Dan always used to push his shoulder pads back when he'd step yeah. up to the line. I would do it. I don't know. I didn't know why I was doing it, but I would do it because I thought I looked like Dan Marino. Um, and I would also talk shit across to the middle linebackers because <laughs> I, I used to see Dan do that too. It was better for him because he was much better than me and had a better team. I used to just get destroyed by the other team's linebackers, but that Marino was my go-to guy. So when I got to meet him and Michael Keaton was a huge influence as to why I got into acting because I love the movie. He did night shift was one of the, my favorite. When I found out he was from basically 20 minutes away from where I grew up, that was like the light bulb of like, Hey, I don't have to live in Hollywood. I can be a guy from Western Pennsylvania, like Michael Keaton that, that went out there and, and made it. So uh, Sports-wise, my go-to guy was always Marino. I was always, I was so destroyed when the Steelers passed on him in the draft, and he went yeah. to Miami. Um, but Marino, yeah, and Michael Keaton. I mean, and you know what? All those guys. Joe Manganiello, who's married to Sofia Vergara right now, is a good buddy of mine from Western Pennsylvania, and that that's really instilled. Those roots uh, never leave you. That old Pittsburgh accent, you know, it's terrible. <laughs> I, I always tell my daughter brought over her boyfriend the other day. I say, hey, I'm telling you right now, you can meet the smartest person in the world. But if they're from Pittsburgh, they're going to sound like the stupidest person in the world. <laughs> he goes, what? What are you talking? About? I said, you can't, say, <laughs> can't say the letter L. That's a big problem. We got stores. But um, no, I love it back there. Awesome, Johnny man. Dangerously is my favorite Keaton movie. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Awesome stuff, Dan. Well, listen, I mean, from Dan Marino's Isotoner Gloves, make sure everyone picks up uh, your Christmas gear this year. So, uh, dude, this is great. We, uh, yeah, we This was so good, Dan. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Hey, Chris, I have one question. Yeah. The, the, the TV guide, do, do you, does it live up there in that corner? Or do you have to, like, before <laughs> each podcast, do you have to, like, get on he the puts step it up before to get every, it up there? He puts I, it up I, before every podcast. I, I, I take just, it down for work, and I put it up for this. There you go. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I just had to know. See, now I've got some insight on the podcast. I get you insight on the I've got insight on the podcast. Awesome, Dan. And thanks for moving to Sub 15. That was really no worries. Appreciate it. I appreciate the time, guys. Thank thanks you, for being so persistent about getting my ass on here. <laughs> a lot of fun. Thank Cheers. you. All right. Talk soon. Have a good one.